right now on Amplified, the Engineers Journal podcast, we're about to meet the top man at Varming Consulting Engineers, James Cavanagh. An engineer is innately curious and has aspirations to better things, to change things and to change things for the good. One of the challenges at the minute is sort of climate change and how that's tackled. Engineers have been designing sustainably for a long, long time. Sometimes maybe going into the profession, they don't see that, but looking back on it, they actually appreciate how valuable, if you like, engineers are to society. Hello, my name is Dusty Rhodes and you're welcome to Amplified, the Engineers Journal podcast, where we speak with leading members of our community about how engineers are delivering interesting and sustainable solutions for society. Joining us today is a man with huge experience as a fully qualified chartered engineer, registered consultant engineer, registered European engineer and a member of the Institute of Directors. Over the next half hour or so, he'll be sharing with us some of his 30 years experience at the forefront of award-winning design projects. CEO of Varming Consultant Engineers, James Cavanagh, you're very welcome. Good morning, Dusty. For those who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about Varming and the work that the firm concentrates on? So Varming Consulting Engineers have been in existence. It's now our 76th year. In terms of engineering, we operate uh, within the the built, what's known as the built environment. So our appointments are based mainly around buildings. And within those, the engineering system supports that supports buildings. So what we're talking about is mechanical engineering, electrical engineering and passive engineering within buildings and to support buildings. So the the heating, the lighting, the ventilation, the air conditioning. But more importantly, um, to support those systems, we're involved in the engineering of the skin, if you like, of the building, which controls the environment to a large extent within the buildings. Overall, I suppose we're responsible for the safe, comfortable and efficient design of buildings, modern buildings and their operation. And how big is the firm? At the moment, the firm is approximately 55 uh, employees, full-time employees. We have offices in Dublin, but we also have offices in Cork and we have offices in uh, Roscommon. Now, you mentioned MEP and a lot of people, when you say MEP, they go, oh, yeah, mechanical engineering, plumbing. You didn't say plumbing. <laughs> no, I, 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 MEP is a generic term, um, which a lot of people will understand as mechanical, electrical and plumbing. But... The P in our case also uh, means um, passive, passive engineering. So in the, let's say, the built environment in a building, uh, you have the internal systems, which is the, the heating, the lighting, the ventilation. But in terms of passive systems, you have the skin of the building, which is actually controlling the heating. So things like insulation, things like facade design, energy efficient fabric, that type of thing. Basically anything that's not actively working is passive. So sunlight, natural ventilation, for example, would be would be quite a prominent system in terms of passive design. Used a lot in uh, schools, for example, all schools, um, classrooms, general classrooms are designed to operate passively through natural ventilation, through openable windows. So initially the design would be passive first and then active. 
So when you're coming to a project, you're kind of, you're looking grand. How can we get the skin right? Yeah. And then underneath the skin, then uh, uh, develop it from there. That ties in, in my head, with climate change and sustainability because you're trying to make the most of nature in order to make a more efficient building. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, it's a fair it's a fair comment, I suppose. Like, I mean, one of the challenges uh, at the minute is sort of climate change and how and how that's tackled. Like, I mean, in terms of where we operate, let's say in the in the built environment, um, like we're building buildings, if you like, at a rate faster than we than we ever have. I read some statistics somewhere that we're building uh, the equivalent floor area of the state of New York every thirty four days. Now, that's a huge challenge. And within that, buildings themselves are responsible for 40% of the world's carbon emissions. 40% of that 40% is in relation to the operation of those buildings. And 10%, which makes up the 40% in round figures, is, is associated with what's called embodied carbon, which is uh, the carbon associated with new buildings and building materials. So if you can get in and, and, and influence that element of life through our design, that's a key challenge, but it's also a key opportunity, if you like, to, to change things and change things for the good. And what do you think are some of the smartest elements of design today? I think the issue is is that is to get to a situation where the engineering, let's say, community initially, like engineers are natural uh, ambassadors for change. They're natural ambassadors for climate change. Engineers have been designing sustainably for a long, long time. Um, I think, I think the key issue is, is actually to get to a point where the engineering community actively combat, if you like, climate change. But they, can only, they can't do that on their own. They can only do it in terms of uh, their design. So we have a, a dedicated, and have had for a long time, a dedicated sustainable design team who works directly with architects, advising them in energy efficient design. Uh, in our own operations, we're accredited to ISO 14001, which is an environmental sustainability plan. So it's, to answer your question, Dusty, it's not actually one actual thing. So it's not electric cars. It's not photovoltaics. In my mind, what it is, is it's actually an engineering community, first of all, coming together with sort of politicians and goodwill and making that transformation. Why do you feel it's important for engineers to lead the way instead of client demand? Well, what we're finding more and more is that the days of, let's say, um, first cost, best cost at any cost uh, is starting to go. And in a lot of cases, what we are finding with our clients is that we're actually pushing open doors. All they actually really need to be aware of is to be made aware of the of the technology. And we're finding that a lot of them are, most of them are actually embracing it. There, there are, um, let's say, requirements, legal requirements, which all of our clients uh, need to embrace in terms of climate change and their requirements. So, you know, we are pushing open doors. Things have changed. I, I, I'd say, you, I, w- I would say that in comparison to when I initially came into the business thing, it's, like chalk and cheese in terms of client uh, awareness, let's say, of the issues. Yeah, I was thinking about that because, you know, the key words today in, in building design and what I hear over and over is sustainability and renewable energy and low carbon tech and smart energy management, all the things we're talking about. Uh, and this is all leaps of head of what we had in the year 2000. Yep, yep. What do, what do you see coming down the line? What standards do you think may be common in 2050? 
Well, where we are at the minute in terms of not so much standards coming down the line, but targets to be met by 2050, and indeed in some cases by 2030, is in terms of net zero or near, near zero energy buildings. And that's that's one of our keen, keen interests. And at the moment, there are buildings which are achieving that standard, and we've been involved in some of them. One major issue in terms of commitment and our commitment is, is our design service, sustainable design service that we that we provide both to in-house and external consultants as well. Change starts from within, like I mean, so at the moment uh, we were the first dedicated consultancy in Ireland to, to be signatories to the World Green Building Council net zero carbon uh, building commitment. We're signatories to the ACI pledge to net zero and we support the Irish Green Building Council in building a net zero Net Zero Ireland. What does that all mean? Well, what it actually means is that there's sort of three or four key strands to any of those commitments, which is commit. Um, so f- as far as we're concerned, we've committed to only occupy buildings which are net zero in operation by 2030. So there's your 2030, but we're committing to it as Varming Consulting Engineers. Um, as part of those commitments, we need to disclose and measure and disclose our own emissions. Uh, we need to act uh, to develop a decarbonisation roadmap. Our head office at the moment um, is a multi-tenanted building and we have representation there of what they call the green team, if you like, where all of the tenants and the landlord come together it, it, it with a view to, how you say, upgrading the building from a practical point of view. Then we need to, to verify and then we need to advocate. And where are we advocating? We're advocating to our clients, but in practice what we're doing is we're advocating through our uh, consultancy and our consultancy advice. It's, it, that's the way we're advocating. So, t- so change is happening, it, it, and it's in train. We just need to get there and, 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 and keep the foot on the pedal, I think, Dusty. A lot of what you're saying sounds great, and yeah. with always the proof of the pudding is when you're actually getting it and doing, and you were involved in a, in a really interesting uh, project recently, which you won an award for, uh, a Net Zero Award, for Donegal Garda Station. Can you tell me about that? So Donegal Garda State, we, we've, as Varman Consulting Engineers, we, we've won quite a lot of, uh, let's say, industry awards over, over the years. The most recent one being Donegal, Donegal Garda Station. Donegal Garda Station was uh, built in the early 20th century, I suppose, around this time. Uh, uh, this time uh, last century, yeah. This time last century, yeah. <laughs> when you think about it, um, that has been acting as a, as a Garda Station for, obviously, si- since then. So in terms of what we brought to the party, our in-house team uh, carried out some dynamic uh, simulation modelling, which uh, validated the environmental sustainability of the project. So basically, desktop studies tested out our, our, our ideas before they were costed, before they were tendered, and they were proven, proven to be, cor- to be correct. How, d- how did you test them and be able to prove them to be correct? Okay, so... Our in-house team, as I said, carry out dynamic simulation modelling. So we can actually model a building in terms of, as I talked to you about, about the skin and the energy performance. We can actually model that in real time. It's, it's, it's not steady state, what would be known as steady state conditions. It's dynamic, so it's moving. You can see this, you can see this happening. And in terms of, let's say, the insulation, the facade design, uh, we, can, we can model how that performs and have different, how you say, um, options. Uh, design options, what will work, what will not work. And we're working very, very closely now in all of this, I must say. The, the key to this is actually working very, very closely with the with the architect and the client in particular um, 
to explain the systems we're using and to, for them to understand and buy into, into those designs. So what we had, ultimately what it all came down to, um, was it was a re- both a refurbishment and an extension uh, project at Donegal Garda Station. Uh, it consisted of the installation of air source heat pumps uh, with an an- enhanced insulation. The buildings, when they operate, they, they, naturally they leak. And if you can control that, um, you can actually control the, the level of heating uh, that's, that's, that's required. Can I ask a quick question then about that building? It's a it's a hundred year old building. Did you have to keep the original building, or were you able to just you know kind of raise it to the ground and start afresh? There was an element. There was a small element of uh, demol- demolition, but that was purely as a function of the building itself. But primarily, the building uh, was retained and it was extended. So it was an extension and a refurbishment uh, project. It was actually quite interesting uh, and unusual, um, but apt, as we said, in as far as, uh, let's say, a, a building which has been refurbished. You asked what I, what I thought um, was going to change, particularly over the, over the next, you know, 10, 20 years or whatever. I think, I think what we're going to see, um, and we know it's, it, it, it's going to happen, is the, let's say, the refurbishment, the repurpose, repurposing of buildings as opposed to um, the demolition and uh, new builds. If you remember, we talked about the, the, the embodied carbon and 10% of that 40% being associated with new, with, uh, new projects. Do we, I think we really need to ask ourselves, do we really need to demolish what we're demolishing or can we repurpose it? Well, what is the challenge then of taking an existing building? And in, in Ireland, we've got a lot of very, very old existing buildings and then mm. bringing them up to a modern standard. It depends. It depends, Dusty. It depends a lot on the, it depends a lot on the type of building we're talking about. Um, like if you take a, an office building, for example, Okay, the focus of the, of the building is actually from an occupant's point of view, insofar as a sal- sa- safe, uh, comfortable environment for office work. Okay, if you if you on the other hand look at any industrial building or process or whatever, the, the focus of the systems are actually either on the safe or operational aspects of the product, let's say, or the process. So, if you took, for example, operating theatres, the key issue there is actually safe and sterile environment for operating. Now, it would not necessarily be practical, if you like, to repurpose every building for an operating care. Some things have to be built from scratch. It w- if you took a biocontainment lab, for example, it, w- it would not necessarily be practical in all instances to repurpose another building. If you took a residential building and an office building, there are synergies there between both of them. Be with me, so it's it's repurpose if you like where where practical and safe. James, let's let's dig into uh, hospital systems kind of a, a little bit okay. more because you're saying like operating theatres, obviously they have to be safe and sterile, you know, and you really need to make them modern. But when when it comes to hospital systems, I mean, what are the kind of challenges that are unique to medical facilities? Healthcare facilities are basically broken into acute and non-acute acute hospital for example would have an operating theater radiology all of those let's say specialist departments a non-acute basically ward block element type of thing sort of not immediate if you like more long-term treatment one thing that's really important um, in a hospital environment and indeed a lot of industrial environments is the ability to keep the system running there is a situation for example where 
they just cannot uh, accommodate uh, shutdown. So, for example, in operating theatres, operating theatres normally come as a suite of operating theatres. You may have four, you may have six, you might have whatever. You you very rarely have one operating suite. Um, And systems are broken so that are broken down when they're designed so as one system can't sit down, let's say, for maintenance or whatever while, while running. So there's the whole standby and what's actually called res- resilience in terms of um, sizing plant, sizing electrical plant, sizing mechanical plant. HVAC is heating, ventilation and air conditioning. Uh, and then there's the electrical systems such as generator, life safety systems and everything which, 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 which supports those and supports the system. So one of the major challenges is the need, if you like, to keep things going. Um, the need to anticipate uh, what next. The need to uh, ensure that the systems are cleanable and, and we do a lot of interaction, let's say, um, with uh, infection, infection control people within hospitals. An operating theatre, people will think of an operating theatre, but it's actually an operating suite. And there's two or three different sort of standard, let's say, layout suites. But a general suite, let's say, would consist of the operating room itself, but also the layout prep room, uh, the scrub room, the anaesthetic room, and then the, let's say, the door to utility, if that was in the design. So there's a suite there's a suite of rooms and one of the key challenges there from a ventilation uh, point of view is that the air systems they actually control the, the the flow let's say of air from clean areas to less clean areas and that may sound very simplistic but it's actually quite uh, challenging sometimes to actually get right so that's in terms of let's say infection and infection control and that's fundamental uh, in terms of the design of the design of operating theaters it's actually very similar to the design of uh, clean rooms or biocontainment suites where it's slightly the other way around. So one of the key challenges in terms of HVA systems across you know, uh, a number of types of systems and, and, and facilities is actually the flow and the pressure profiling it and achieving between, between areas. So that's challenging. Is it the challenge of to clean the air or is it the challenge of rooting the air to get it from A to B? It's actually both. Um, as I said to you, there, there's a small number of uh, standard layouts for, let's say, operating theatres. One type of uh, operating theatre is called the UCV, which is Ultra Clean Ventilation uh, System. That's used primarily for um, bone surgery, which seems to be quite susceptible to, to, to infections. You open up your knee and it's, you know, so orthopedic surgery. So the challenge there and then the challenge uh, likewise is actually number one, as you say, cleaning the air, which is simple enough, right? There's, a, there's enough, uh, let's say, systems, technology, filtration uh, systems out there to clean it. But the real challenge is when it's clean, okay, is to make sure that it's actually flowing where it should be so that it doesn't interfere either with product, let's say, or personnel contamination. I'm talking about product contamination, for example, very similar, um, although much gra- higher grades of filtration if you're talking about, let's say, chip manufacture, semiconductor manufacture. And where do you find the solutions? Is the solution in, in the piping? Is the solution in the filters that you use? Uh, the technology is out there, but the, the actual solution is in the engineer who's designing the system. That's where the solution is. And the solution is in relation to the interaction. For example, if we're talking about, you know, for example, you know, 
uh, theatre suites, is, is the close sort of interaction and collaboration, for, for example, for the architect. Okay, because you can you can have uh, systems, let's say, which you know, th- there's very small air differentials which make a difference, and maybe a, a sort of a loose fitting door or whatever, um, you know, w- may have an effect, will have an effect on the on the on the building, and and it's it's everybody. Everybody in the design team being aware, let's say, of the design parameters and what's and what's required. It's challenging. What I would say, Dusty, is it's challenging, but for people in the business, it's more unique than challenging. You know, you would look back on a, a number of projects where they would be sort of unique. They would give you a sort of a being in the engineering profession would give you a sort of an insight into things you wouldn't, not, let's say, normally see. As I said, like I mean, operating theatres. Um, industrial ventilation, clean room design. It's a little bit of a sort of a, it gives you an opportunity, that little sort of peek behind the curtain. How does it actually work? How, you, I think, now, as I said to you, whatever about engineers being sort of natural ambassadors for change, like innately they're, they're curious people, you know? They want to know how things work. And a career in engineering uh, will give them the opportunity to see that, but it'll also give them an opportunity to to be involved in the design of either the systems themselves or indeed the systems that support them, which is what I've found particularly beneficial, if you like, uh, from the career in engineering, particularly building engineering. Let's talk a little bit more about keeping that spark in your brain and the curiosity going and always looking for new and interesting solutions to problems. Varming is known for a very strong spirit of of creativity and innovation and you're the CEO at the company. How do you keep that spirit alive with the staff? I I qualified from what was uh, Bolton Street, now at the College of Technology and what what is now uh, TU Dublin. I qualified as a building, what was known as a building services engineer. I've maintained links uh, with the college, um, particularly with the stream of building engineers coming from that uh, course. The, the spark is naturally there when they go in, to answer your question. All right. So one of the sources is actually to get people who are, let's say, adaptable, ambitious and aspirational. And we found people... Generally, engineers, that's what they are. They are adaptable, they're ambitious, and they're aspirational. They want to change things. Um, and we found uh, that course in particular a particularly good, good source. Now, some people may say, well, you would say that, James, because you're, you're from that course. But it is actually the truth. When we get them, when, when we get them, when they come into our organisation, uh, they have the support of our QHSE uh, system, which is our quality, health, safety and environmental system. And there we have a mentoring programme. And Engineers Ireland, we have for many years uh, been part of their accredited uh, CPD programme. And we, and we know, and I know directly from talking to our younger uh, staff, that that is a huge, a huge uh, support, a huge support for them. As you say, getting people into the company and if they're natural and they're curious and they're great engineers, but finding those people in the first place seems to be getting harder and harder. Do Mm. you feel that the system is succeeding in getting new engineers into the business? It depends on which system, I suppose, um, Dusty, we're talking about. Like, I mean... I think the education system from, you know, secondary school through university and, and, and technical college. 
Yeah, I, I think from what I found um, personally with my my experience of, of that is in terms of drivers and what actually influences people to go into any profession. One of the curious things we may think has changed, but it hasn't changed, is one of the main drivers uh, for for people to, when they're choosing a, a career, a profession, is their parents and is their peers. And that is that that's actually been sort of proven scientific fact, you know, I mean, through some of the the work that we that TU Dublin have done. That's a fact. Um, they're one of the key drivers. And what, but also, what's one of the one of the key drivers is the when and when that happens. That happens uh, effectively in first level in primary school people a lot of people make up their mind in primary primary level what they're actually going to to do for the rest of their for the rest of their career initially anyway how then does engineering sell itself to primary school students or does it yeah, yeah no, <laughs> do get, you know? I get, sorry, i'm yeah. thinking when i was a kid right i wanted to be a farmer i wanted to be a bus driver uh, i wanted to be a spaceman there were all these kind of little things that i could see around and they all look engineering like I don't walk past a building going I'd love to be able to design a building like that one day yeah, yeah. How, how do we get these kids like engaged we in Varmings um, we have actually gone into as you said we maintain our we maintain our links uh, with the with the colleges um, and with second level schools as well but a big help of that is that we've also uh, been involved in the Engineers Ireland Steps programme the Engineers Ireland Steps programme uh, has, is a program where they actually target uh, f- what I would call first level, which is primary level, and secondary level uh, students. And that's to open their eyes in relation to engineering and the different facets of engineering. And I think there's a requirement, let's say, or, uh, on, on the particular industry to then go and uh, highlight, if you like, the aspects of that particular industry. What, so what I'm saying is I'm... F- where I'm coming from, I'm highlighting the aspects in terms of what's called building engineering because I have particular interest in that. But the STEPS program in terms of getting people interested in in the engineering and the STEM subjects is, is really, a, really, really a good program and a support really for the industry as well as, as, as well as the students. Tell me, just to kind of wrap up our chat today, what challenges are you facing yourself over the next two, three years? The challenges that we're going to face over the next two or three years um, are no real different to the challenges we would have faced over the last two or three years. It's just that some of them will come to the come to the fore um, or step back, depending on where we are in economic, let's say, cycle. So one of the big the big ones, and we sort of hit on it as well, is the general sort of skill shortage uh, in the profession. But that's not only Ireland. Um, that's 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 throughout the world, um, and we 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 know that. Um, some, for every sort of challenge, I suppose, there's, there's opportunities. So the opportunities in terms of the skills shortages, uh, insofar as that we, it, sort of, it, it tends to create diversity within the workforce, which is needed. Um, and as well as that, it can go to address, uh, let's say, the gender balance that's, that's it, that needs to be addressed, particularly the, within the building, the building industry. Uh, the inflationary pressure brought brought upon by um, the global pandemic, but also the now the war in in Ukraine. Uh, we don't know when that's going to finish, but that's having a huge knock on effect in terms of building confidence. So that's a challenge, an immediate challenge. But again, there's an opportunity, as we said, in relation to lean design that can address that. Go some way to address that. There's a there's a, there's opportunities there. Uh, in terms of the adoption of modern methods of construction and modern simulation techniques such as BIM, 
So there's for every sort of challenge, there there is there and there are opportunities. There's a constant need, if you like, to keep up with technology. But that's also how you say uh, uh, um, an opportunity for engineers who want to. Uh, progress their career through increased learning. You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of engineers, uh, they, they qualify as engineers. Some actually, you know, diverse into 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 other in, in other professions. Um, so, in terms of sort of challenges, there's always sort of opportunities that's brought to the brought to the table. If you look at it that way, on the more let's say local level in relation to to Ireland, um, one of the big challenges is actually delivering, I suppose, on the national development plan. Um, in as far as 2021, I think, yeah, 21 to 2030, you were talking about 2030 earlier on, there's a huge investment there planned, 165 billion uh, in relation to public funding. Um, And engineers in general will be required to deliver on that. So that's a challenge, is actually delivering on the National Development Plan on on a countrywide level, as well as bigger issues on the global global field. James Kavanagh, CEO of Varming Consulting Engineers, thank you very much. Thank you, Dusty. Good to talk. If you would like to find out more about what we spoke about on the podcast today, you'll find show notes and link details in the description area of your podcast player right now. Our Amplified podcast was produced by dustpod.io for Engineers Journal. You'll find advanced episodes at our website, engineersireland.ie, or just press the follow button on your podcast player right now to get our next episode automatically on Apple, Spotify, or whatever podcast player you're using. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank you for listening.